almost forgot a timer, which would not be good for anybody. So, hey, uh, man, we start off big. All right, good to be with you guys. A little booming echo as we go in. Um, good to be here in Lincoln Park. Uh, glad to be with you guys. Uh, and yeah, I guess nobody wants me to take anybody to Israel, So, but they, I, I do get invited to come to Lincoln Park when it happens, so I'm always excited for that and, and grateful. So yeah, it's you know either or. I don't have jet lag when I go back to Oakland, so it works out okay. But, um, but uh, hey, um, real excited to be with you guys. Love uh, being able to come to Lincoln Park and, uh, and, and, and be around you. Love the Moss family uh, and grateful for uh, Bobby and Jeanette. And just their friendship for my wife and I, uh, but, um, but, but as we jump into this message, uh, I like this series that we're in called Finding Jesus. And what we've been doing is looking back through the Old Testament, uh, usually when we jump into Easter Sunday, uh, we're, we're looking for a couple chapters at the very end of each gospel uh, that inform us about the, uh, you know, the arrest, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, which... Rightfully so. That's the good stuff, right? Uh, but what we've been doing is, over the last couple of weeks, is going back and looking through the Old Testament and finding these moments uh, where God had, had started uh, pointing his people towards Jesus and the reminder that Easter Sunday was coming even uh, a thousand years before. Uh, reminding us that this idea of the Messiah, that this anointed one, this Savior, who would come uh, wasn't just this new idea where God woke up somewhere at the end of Malachi and said, "All right, we got to shift this up. You know, something's got to happen. We'll we'll be quiet for a couple hundred years and then we'll try something new." Uh, is is this idea that that God uh, was was going to arrive? That that there was going to be salvation that came uh, was was not just brand new once we turn into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, what I want us to do as we get ready and as we're thinking through some of these areas is thinking through this. Uh, is, is for us, and this is, this is more of a human problem, right? So unless you're not human, uh, join me in this as we think through it. What do we do with the areas of our life and the aspects of our lives that aren't good? Right? And, and, and what I'm asking us to do is think beyond the like, you know, do you feel like you're good enough? Do you feel like... Yeah. Generally, I enjoy life. I enjoy hanging out with people. I like to have fun. And so by and large, I would assume most people would look at my life and say, Don's pretty good. You know, unless you know me really well, be like, oh, Don's pretty good, right? Uh, but, but I know because I'm inside this body, right, uh, and I'm viewing life through these eyes and this brain. I know what goes on in here that I'm thankful nobody else knows. I told my wife when I get old and, you know, if there's some mental health issues as, as I age, we've got to get out of here because I don't want people to, like, hear what I've been holding in for all these decades we need to be in Montana out in the hills somewhere. That's, that's, that's safe for us, you know, because I know how not good I can be. You know what I'm saying? Think about the areas of our life that are far from God. Uh, maybe even the areas you hide from God or the areas you can't seem to drag to him. They just keep wanting to hold you back. Think about the areas of us that are weighed down by guilt, uh, weighed down by things like unforgiveness, uh, weighed down by things like shame. Because what I want us to ask is this question, what do we do with the parts of us that we can't get rid of and that's destroying us and or other people around us? Uh, what do we do with that not good stuff that's in there and how it ripples its way into the rest of our life and the lives of the people around us? Uh, this human struggle is one we've been dealing with since almost the beginning. We'll give humanity at least the first two chapters of the Bible to say we did okay, right? But by chapter 3, we've screwed everything up, right? 
And so what do we do with those parts of us? Because there are parts of our lives that are eroding our life. There's aspects of who we are that are keeping us separated from God. And here's the problem, right? And this is the human problem, is we'll come up with, and we think we're real good at this, we'll come up with all the ways that we'll fix it, right? And if you've ever studied like any history, uh, what we're really good at is making it worse, right? Uh, so I'm going to try to fix all my problems, and we'll fix one, and we'll miss seven, and we're like, you know what? Baseball average, we're okay, right? A 300 will get you into the Hall of Fame, so maybe if I get like three out of ten, we'll be all right, and we work in those averages. What, what I want us to grab onto is this reminder that God has something to say about the parts of us that we keep far from him. Uh, in the Jewish calendar, it has seven feasts. These are appointed times for God's people to stop what they're doing, to meet with God, and to remember what he's done. It's a reminder, it reminds them of how he has been faithful in the past and that he's still faithful in their midst. Uh, a lot of times for us, uh, you know, in the uh, American Christian calendar, we've got Easter and Christmas, right? Uh, and then like St. Patrick's, but we know how Americans celebrate St. Patrick's, and it may not be as holy, right? And so we miss some of these moments that are key markers in our calendar where, where us as a society or us as a church culture, where we stop what we're doing uh, to, to like wholesale Leave everything so that we can focus on the good stuff. Focus on who God's been and what he's done. And that's what God's doing with his people. Imagine that, where seven times a year, some of us wouldn't like it because we're too busy. And we wouldn't want to put a bunch of stuff on pause so we could just focus on the spiritual things. Some of us know that we need to, right? And so in the life of Israel uh, at this point, or at least as we're launching in, what's happening is we're creating and we are stopping to remember, and God is finding these moments and saying, hey, this is going to happen, and what I need you to do is I need you to celebrate it like this, right? And they're called festivals, right? So God's not like, and then the Lord went across Israel. I don't know if you've ever been to like a festival, all right? But they're called that for a reason, Okay? So it was a moment for Israel to celebrate what God has done. And there was these moments that would happen, Passover, we talked about it last week, where God says, this is what's going to happen. And when it does, here's how I want you to celebrate it, because I don't want you to miss the key parts. Because if you miss what really happened, then you'll forget who you really are, and you'll forget who I really am. And so here what we find is, I love this, uh, the Hebrew word for festival can also be translated in Hebrew as rehearsals. And so what we find is, and here's what I want us to think about, so seven times Israel is celebrating a festival to meet with God, remembering his faithfulness to them, to them in the past, but also this, it's also a rehearsal for what's to come. And so we start asking, a rehearsal for what? What are we getting ready for, right? Anybody ever been a part of a wedding rehearsal? It is the worst part of the wedding, right? But that's not what's going on here, Why? Right? The rehearsal is to get ready and make sure that everyone knows their spot and everyone knows how it works. And everyone, usually it's the groomsmen because the bridesmaids love it and the groomsmen are focused on other parts of the wedding weekend, right? And it's that moment where it's like, hey, we know the bride's coming. We know how this is going to happen. Here, it's that reminder of you need to remember what's happening and what's going on and see things clear. And some of us don't care, but the rehearsal brings us into having to care because it causes our attention to be drawn to the important stuff that God's 
bringing us into. So here we're trying to figure out early on, what is God asking us to rehearse for? Or maybe this, who is God asking us to rehearse for? Our, our world that we live in, in a Western world, we view the world through lists and definitions, facts to be known. And listen, I, I can turn anything into a spreadsheet. All right, uh, that is part of my world. I love rows and columns. I love how they connect. I, I like how you can do this, that, and the other, which means I'm kind of a, just a product of society, but the Bible's not written in a Western culture, so sometimes we're reading the Bible trying to figure out how does this list fit into that and how do these things make sense here. Remember, the Bible's written in a Eastern culture, which tends to lean way more into pictures, images, uh, these situations for us to meditate on and to ponder, uh, where you read it and you're just, you, you sit there and think about every implication of every part of the imagery and how it all flows in. I don't know if you've ever been downtown to the, uh, uh, to the uh, art museum, the art institute, right? And, and uh, I love, I, I took every art class in high school. I was the weird, like, played every ounce of football I could get in and, like, also did pottery. So do with that what you want, okay? Um, <laughs> And I love going down to the Art Institute for one reason. I love to go and look at three paintings over the course of a couple hours. And if you've ever watched, right, you may blaze past and like, I don't know, you know, get out of the way. I just want to see the picture and then you move on. And you'll find people that are there for four hours looking at one picture. And it's that way when we read scripture is God's giving us these images, these pictures, these rehearsals, these situations for us to sit and just think about and look at the different aspects and the shading and the, uh, what's in the background and what's in the foreground and what kind of colors are popping and how's all this working together. In Celtic spirituality, I felt like it's important coming off the heels of St. Patrick's Day, but in Celtic spirituality, the church adopts it and uses it. There's this term that they use called thin places. Uh, it's these places in, uh, you know, uh, geographically or, uh, you know, certain monuments or landmarks, and they'll call them thin places. It's, it's these places where uh, heaven gets closest to earth. Uh, it's these kind of, uh, now for you, listen, for me, one of those places is down in Springfield, Illinois, which is where I grew up at a church camp, because for me, God met me there in a crazy way. And for me, every time I set foot onto that campground, it, it's a thin place for me. The church that I grew up at, came to the Lord in, is a thin place. The college campus I was at is a thin place. It's these places where when I walk in, like, man, I just, you feel, you remember what God did, and you feel his presence more uh, the Bible has these thin places. God constructs these. Now, it was way before Celtic spirituality, and God's doing his own thing. He doesn't need to adopt from, you know, the, the, the Irish. Sorry for those of you who are Irish, but God's, you know, it's good, right? And he creates this, this tent called the tabernacle, and it is the thinnest of places. In fact, this is the house of God. This is where you go to meet with him. This is his presence in the middle of the community. And, and as we jump into Leviticus... This tabernacle, we're going to be in chapter 16 the rest of our time, this tabernacle, this house, or literally this dwelling place of God is the thinnest place. It's the closest God's people can get to the presence of God while we're still on earth. And just before we're about to read this, or right before the section we're about to read, there's a little bit of a situation that happens that kind of informs why God's jumping in. Uh, Aaron, who's the high priest, had sons who completely mishandled the way they're supposed to approach God's presence when they enter into this tabernacle. 
and they die, right? And, and so God sets this straight, and he's like, hey, let's make sure no one dies, right? And, and you'll find this rhythm or this theme as we go through Scripture. We always think of God of the Old Testament as this vengeful, wrathful, angry God. What we fail to see is God's mercy and grace as he's constantly setting up these things like, hey, guys, listen, let's try for you not to die, all right? And here's the issue, right? We've got to remember that we're pretty good at separating ourselves from God, and if God is full of life, then everything far from him is full of? So the further we get from life, the closer we get to death, and God is constantly trying to bring us back to his life. And so God says, hey, listen, if you're going to mishandle this whole tabernacle situation, my presence and all this stuff, we've got to come up with a different way because I still want you to be close to me. I still want you to be purified. I still want you to be in my presence. I still want there to be relationships, so we're going to try it this way. So here, God is speaking to his people so that we have a way to meet with God and, like the first question we started with, and cover over all that sin and that mess that's holding us back from him. So read with me in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1. I need, to, I need to give this disclaimer before I go in. Uh, Bobby came and preached at Oaklawn for me last Sunday. Uh, I usually have like 14 slides because I'm boring. Uh, Bobby showed up, I think it was 82. Um, and so, yeah, there was smoke coming off the keyboard, and I think we went through three media people because of just pure, like, stress and depression. I'm kidding, that's not true. But, right, uh, so this is my attempt to hone my inner Bobby Moss. There's going to be some pictures as we go in. Uh, but, but what I want you to do is pay attention to the image, pay attention to the stories, pay attention to what, if you were standing there watching this, what would it look like? Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Right? The first thing God says is, hey, Aaron, you can't just pop in whatever you want to. Right? Right? Because you start mishandling it. And when you start mishandling it, you start getting things wrong. When you start getting things wrong, you come in carrying all your sin into the holiness of God. And it's like this, right? I love the Bible project. The guys there describe it this way. It's like getting too close to the sun. It's not that the sun is bad and you die if you get close. It's just that the sun is so different than our human bodies that when we get close to it, it's not good for us to be that close. It's good for us to be this close. Does that make sense? And so as he approaches, he says, but I still want you to come close. And so I, I, as he goes through, he says this. Uh, in the tent, there were these two rooms. You got the image there? Okay, cool. In the tabernacle, there was these two rooms, right? You see where the priest is standing now is the holy place. And then if you go beyond the curtain, anybody seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, so if you've not read the Bible, you at least have some reference of where we're going here. All right? Okay. And so this, this Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones didn't come up with it. Just okay, I don't know where we're at here today, okay? So this is actually a biblical thing. So God creates this, and here we are. And on the other side of this veil is this, is this tabernacle. Uh, really, it gets these titles, the footstool of God. The, uh, and a lot of imagery gives it kind of this throne. Not that God actually sits there, but it's the closest we can get to the presence of God while we're still on earth. And what starts to happen is God starts giving instruction to his people of how we can approach him there. Pay attention. He still wants us to approach him. 
And all these instructions, the people keep messing it up. They keep getting it wrong. And God keeps coming up with different ways to make sure that we can get into the presence. And he says, listen, before this all happens, you've got to know we've got to take things differently because if you don't take it the way I'm saying it, you are going to die. And I don't want you to die. All right? God restricts access. And this is weird for us to think about, but I think it's helpful. God restricts access to actually save people. Right? Because once we start getting too comfortable, then we start not paying attention. Read through the Old Testament. It's story after story. God says, do this. And we're like, yeah, I think it's easier to do it this way. And it doesn't work. The issue isn't that God doesn't want them closer more often. Remember, Revelation seen at the very end is God um, uh, from people from everywhere with access to God's presence. That's what he's going for. That is where we're heading towards. Here, God restricts access to allow this one day where his people have to get it right. It's about focusing on God to approach him on his terms so that we can live holy in his presence, not die sinfully in his presence. And verse 3 says, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. Now, I want you to pay attention as we read through here because what we start to notice is, uh, is, is God is going, the imagery is going to be weird to us because this is not how, like you've not had to do this in church before, all right? Uh, but as he starts talking about it, I want us to grab onto, this is how we're going to make sure that Aaron as the high priest is clean of all of his sin, intentional and non-intentional. And make sure this tabernacle and these pieces of furniture like the altar and the uh, holy, or these rooms like the holy of holy and the tent and all these, uh, make sure that they are purified and ready so that we can approach the presence of God and making sure that by the time we get to God's people, so we're starting with the high priest, we're moving into the facility, and then we get to God's people to make sure that we're not bringing in any garbage with us before we approach God's presence. The first thing that the high priest is to do is he's going to bring a bull to make an offering to cover that priest's sin. You, this guy, everything in this in, in, uh, um, in Leviticus 16 hangs on the actions and movements of the high priest. So what the high priest, think about it this way, once a year, all of us, right, our sins are based on whether or not, and we'll just use Ed because Bobby's probably not as good as Ed, but right, so Ed is going to be our high priest, all right, and, and so if, if Ed, if anything's missing in Ed, this is our one time a year to make sure our sins are gone. Okay? This is before Jesus. That, we'll get to the good part later, but this is now, right? Is to make sure Ed's got to have his stuff together. We want Ed to have his stuff together. And so here we start to see how God instructs the high priest to make sure that everything's cleaned up and we're good to go. This was to purify him. Anything intentional and even unintentional sin, we are going to make sure we stand pure before a holy God. Second, he's going to bring a ram for the burnt offering. This was to acknowledge that the unintentional sin nature and a request for renewed relationship with God. We are going to make sure we stand pure before the holy God. The issue is to make sure I don't want, right? We're not assuming that I'm okay and I should be fine. We're assuming I'm not okay and I'm not fine and I want to make sure I'm good before I get into the presence of God. We are, uh, they would skin the hide off the ram to be given to the priest and completely burn up the rest of the carcass, right? Think about this. When Jesus is on the cross, he gave all of himself, but they took his garments and divided them amongst themselves. Remember this? We start to see some of these connections. Then we start talking about the priest's clothes. Normally, uh, the priest would wear this elaborate outfit 
that made him stand out and represent God's people in a service before God. Uh, you can kind of see a lot of stuff going on there. This is obviously a rendition. There's multiple out there. Uh, but, but important, he's got this, uh, this breastplate, this piece that he would wear, 12 different kinds of stones that would represent each 12 of the tribes of Israel. And literally this, this guy was the representative of Israel before God, but he also, to God's people, was somewhat, not not of a representative, but he was a reminder to them that this guy was the one that goes before God. So this priest served this kind of unique role in here, but what's interesting here, remember we've got to make sure that the priest is good before we jump in, what's interesting in this section of Leviticus 16, God instructs him to wear the plain basic garments, these linen uh, uh, undergarments that would have been all white, and would have represented kind of a stripped down but still set apart. Uh, not colored and dyed actually takes a lot of work, right? I don't know if uh, Clorox was around at that time. It takes a lot of work to get these garments to be that white. you got to go to special places and buy them from different areas. And so this was an all-white outfit, very basic, not elaborate. All the bells and whistles are taken off, but it's still this reminder. Here he's representing Israel, he's taking off his role, work, reputation, significance, just to stand bare before the Lord in vulnerable, simple worship. And then he would bathe and wash himself, and any sacrifice, the high priest would wash his hands and his feet beforehand to make sure that his hands were pure and he was good to go. But here on this day, this one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, something different happens. This one, he actually gets into the water and he bathes himself. Cleansing his whole self before he puts on these basic but sacred outfit. We live assuming, and this is helpful for us, we live assuming or trying to convince ourselves that we're okay. But here, we are seeing that it is an intentional move to understand that we are not okay, but God is making a way for us to be okay. Uh, verse 6, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, offering his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. We're starting with Aaron and his house. If, 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 remember, if Ed's not good, we're not good. we got to make sure Ed's good, all right? Our high priest has to be good. So the first offering is to make sure that his sin is covered. This idea of atonement or to cover, this is where we hit the reset button of bringing ourselves back to God. I don't know if you grew up with, but I did an original Nintendo. That was like my favorite Christmas gift I remember getting. Um, and there was two buttons on it, if you remember right. There was a power and a what? And a reset. I never knew what the reset button was for, but my little sister did, right? Because she would wait till I was like real deep into Mario Brothers. You know what I'm talking about. All right? We're still working through it, her and I, okay? No, but, but think about it this way, right? When things are going great, we don't want anybody to hit the reset button, right? It's when we've like lost all of our lives and things are a train wreck. It's like, you know, let's start over. Let's start this over. Uh, what I'm trying to help us realize is we've got to get to a place where we realize the things that we're trying to pretend that are okay really aren't okay. And once we get to that part where God says, hey, let's hit a reset button and get everything back to where we're good, we want that reset button to get hit. The Day of Atonement centered around the actions of this priest. He's going to go into the presence of the Lord beyond your behalf. You want him to have his stuff together. This is your annual shot at being made pure before God, and you need the high priest as pure as humanly possible. Verse 7 says, Then he is to take two goats and present himself before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
right? He is to cast lots for the two goats, right? This is a way of letting God pick which one. One lot means one is going to make sure this, one of the goats is going to go to the Lord. The other one is going to become this word that we'll call scapegoat. Uh, The word scapegoat in Hebrew is azazel. Most scholars admit that our Bibles have a bad translation here of scapegoat, uh, that that likely it defines uh, this uh, deity, this spirit, and and actually a, a dark demonic one that represented out in the wilderness, right? is the kind of place that that is where evil is. It's, it's out there. You get two different references, and this will be helpful. Another story will tell. The wilderness is often like a playground for evil. Uh, and so when Israel's wandering through the wilderness, that could be really bad unless God is with them. So what we see is Israel wandering in this dark wilderness, but the presence of God by a fire by night and cloud by day is with them, and it protects them and guards them and directs them. In the wilderness, we get the same thing. Think about the life of Jesus. Some of his hardest moments are when he's out in the wilderness. So here we've got this goat that's going to go out into the wilderness, be released into the evil where it belongs. Think about it that way. Aaron the high priest will bring the goat for the Lord and sacrifice as a sin offering. It will die for the sins of the people. Remember, right? Genesis chapter 3, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die. But God in his mercy makes another way where it's not you that has to die, but it's a goat that dies as a substitute, right? And here's, listen, I grew up, for four years, I, I was a youth pastor in a town that was a very big farming community, and, and I, I still, like, I had some of these, like, don't kill the goat, you know, like, don't, don't kill the cow. I love burgers, and I love a good steak. I just don't want it to be that cow, because I've seen them. We've made eye contact. It's weird, you know? It's like, I like it. You know, Mariano's is good. I've not seen that one, you know, so let's go. That's fine with me. So we'll have these kind of like, man, don't kill the goat. Here's the issue, right? It's fine, but it's either you die or the goat dies. And all of a sudden we're like, goat sounds great, right? Let's go with the goat, okay? And so as we're approaching this, keep in mind, this isn't like, you know, PETA would have a field day with this whole deal. But what I want us to think about is this. God is saying, what you deserve, I'm making a different way. It doesn't have to be on you, even though you are the ones that chose. God, uh, the goat chosen by Lot to be the goat for Azazel is to be presented for the Lord to be used to make atonement. This goat will be taken away from the people and released to Azazel in the wilderness. It will be sent off to be on its own. Satan, demons, and evil are regularly represented in the wilderness. What's interesting, think about it this, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God create this beautiful place called Eden, and we call it a garden, right? It's this place where all these plants and these beautiful flowers, if you ever walk into a great garden, intentionally designed, there's order to it, and there's this place that says, man, someone took all this random stuff and put it together so it's beautiful. But in the wilderness, it's just random stuff. It's chaos. You get it? So we're taking from here and we're sending it out into the chaos, into the evil where who knows what's going on and how it's going. The imagery here is this. God's going to take our sin, the bad stuff, the evil, the chaos, the the, the sin that's in us. He's going to put it on this goat. And this goat is going to take our sin where it belongs to the rest of the evil so that it's out of here so that we can stand before God. You get it? All right. Remember, the atonement for the sin of Israel hangs on the actions of Aaron, the high priest. So God starts with him and works his way towards his people's 
sin. The priest has to be pure. And then the now pure priest can purify the temple. And when the priest is pure and the tabernacle is pure, then atonement can be made. Here's what I want us to see. They believed, this is, they actually believed that God could do something about the parts of their past, their present, their addictions, their attitudes, their thinking, their feeling. They believed God could do something about it that no one else could. So this whole thing in Leviticus 16 is God saying, I can do something about all that stuff weighing on you, but it's got to be done like this. Get it? They actually believe that God could take their sins away. What I want you to think through is what are you carrying with you that you need to get rid of, that you need to set free? Because we all need to be set free. Here in God's instruction to his people, he's saying to them, I didn't create you to carry that around, so I've got to make a way for you to take it off and to send it away. God has always remained holy. He's remained just in holding humans accountable to the death that we deserve. He's always remained loving and gracious in his continual pursuit of his people. And we see here that God has always been looking for a way to bring us back to him. In verse 11, it says, Aaron shall bring a bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he's to slaughter the bull for his own sin. He takes the censer. I'm going to skip over this because we need to get moving. But I want you to see this, right? Here's this image. As he takes this cloud and he takes, he, he creates this cloud that's in there so that there's still some kind of buffer between him and the holy place. Because like the sun, there needs to be, it's not good for us to be all the way there, right? So he's saying that we need to fill this room up so, so that there is still something. Even though you're in it, there's still, there's still this smoke, this fog that's between you and what's going on here. I'm going to skip forward. In verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain, do it that as he did with the bull's blood. He's going to sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he's going to make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites. Now, I'm sure your life is cleaned up and there's no rebellion in you. But for the rest of us, right, I'm grateful that God's looked into my life and said, you know what, there's some areas you forget a lot, that you neglect. I like to look at my good stuff. I don't really like to look at my bad stuff. And he's saying, yeah, someone's got to look at that, though, because that's what's holding you back from me. And so we got to work on this, right? Because the more you forget it and put it away and slide it under the bed and shove it in a closet, the more parts of your life, just percentage-wise, you start getting more and more that's further from him and closer to death. He says, whatever their sins have been. I love that he adds that part for your sins, whatever they are, right? I'm not even talking about the bad stuff all the time. Like, hey, that weird comment or, you know, the side eye you gave to the lady at the grocery store, that one needs to be atoned for too. So it's all this, like, whatever the sin is, we got to make sure that we're covered here. He is to do the same with the tent of meeting, which is amongst the midst of their uncleanliness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to the holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for him, his whole house, and for the people of Israel. We're used to thinking about faith as individuals, right? Just me and my buddy Jesus. But God makes time to make sure the priest is cleaned and made right before God, and his holy space is cleaned and made right before God, and to make sure his people are covered over by God. God is making sure that there's an annual reset button so we don't get so used to our sin and distance from God that we just keep going. In verse 18, he's going to come out of the altar and cleanse it. We need to be cleansed 
cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the Israelites. Verse 20 says this. Now we get into the good stuff. When Aaron is finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, right? Think about that. You're just outside waiting. Aaron's in there doing something, right? We've lost Ed for a while. We hope everything's okay, right? Because he's in there purifying himself according to the statutes of God. He's taking care of all these pieces of furniture according to how God wants it and these spaces according to how God wants it for this purpose. Now he's going to bring forward the live goat. Don't forget there was another one. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. All of their sin. Pay attention to that. All of them. Not like the big ones and then like hope the little ones trickle in. He's going to stand over and he will confess all the sins and he's going to actually put them on the goat's head. Okay? What's interesting is there's no real record of how long this took. Think about it. Even in this room, we could be here for a minute. Right? You'd be like, oh, I didn't really plan on being here for that long. I didn't know we were like confessing sins over the goat day. Um, I planned to meet someone for lunch, so I'm going to dip out. You know, like it's this whole, like, how long is this going to take? Well, think of your sin and multiply it by 100 whatever people. We could be here for a little bit. Now multiply that by, by a lot more than this. Okay? He's going to confess every sin that all of us have done. Because there's not one thing that we want to left hold on to. We want to make sure it's all put out there so that everything goes. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Now, we don't have this in our Bible, but in these two Hebrew documents, these two Hebrew kind of side law, uh, helpful cultural things called the mission and the Talmud. What we find is, again, it's not mentioned in scripture, but it's mentioned all over Israel culture is uh, that they would also place this red cord uh, kind of like around the, the goat's head so that you knew what this goat was as it was being sent out. Because imagine you're like a sheep herder and like there's a goat and you're like, hey, great, it's a goat. And then you see the red and you're like, that's got all the sin. We're just going to let that guy go, right? Make sure that one goes out this way. We don't want to touch it. It's to remind you who's carrying the sin, all right? We want to make sure this goat leaves and never comes back. Imagine watching your sin being taken away by God and just sent off to die in the wilderness in the chaotic evil where it goes. Everything that's not right in you, all the sin stuff that's holding you back from God has been taken off, it's been put on this animal, and you get to watch it just leave. You get to watch it take off in the wilderness. You get to see all of that go. That's powerful once a year to be reminded of who God is and how he operates with us. It says, because on the day of atonement, or on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you, and then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of Israel. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. I want you to think about a story here, because Jesus shows up well after all of this. And if you've not made the connection yet, uh, Jesus fills a role that this story has, a couple actually. There's one day in Jesus' life where he arrives to a town on the other side of the shore of Galilee. His boat pulls up, he gets out, and this demon-possessed man approaches him, uh, falls on his knees. This guy was violently filled with evil. Uh, we get images like this uh, where uh, they tried to tie him down, and it didn't work. The chains broke. They tried to shackle him, and even that didn't help. We are told that his issue was that he was filled with an unclean spirit. Right? Think about it this way. 
all that stuff that's in there, all the evil that resides, everything, and don't think evil like scary movie evil. Think evil like not of God. All the stuff that, that, that isn't closer to God in his life, but it's closer to evil in its death. All that stuff is filling this man so much that, that he's living a life of death, right? Uh, we get images like he's throwing himself in the fire to, to burn up. He, uh, they're trying to bring order, and he keeps creating chaos. He's not wearing clothes, so that's definitely marked him as a weird guy in town, right? Uh, but, but go back to Genesis. What happens when Adam and Eve, it's like, why aren't you wearing why are you ashamed, right? And so there's this whole like taking off of all these things and he is back to like the raw nastiness of what's going on. He approaches Jesus and he begs for two things. One, send us into those pigs and two, don't make us leave this place, right? Send us in the pigs, but don't make us leave this place. I want you to pay attention to what happens. Jesus takes the evil, this unclean spirit that was in the man, and casts it onto an animal and sends it off to die. You get it? Okay? Now, I'm not saying that this was the Day of Atonement or anything, but I love this image because what God does for an entire nation, he also does for one person. What this guy was struggling with, the demons that had a grip on him, the stuff that was bringing death into his life, Jesus takes that off, casts it on these pigs, and doesn't just send it off in the wilderness to die, sends it over a cliff into the ocean to die. You can watch it happening right there. You get it? They see Jesus, these demons, right? Or sorry, when people in the town find out, they come running out to see. And when they come running, here's what they see. They see Jesus, and then they see the guy who used to be demon-possessed just sitting there in his right mind, and they become afraid, begging Jesus to leave them. They send Jesus out of town. Think about this. Sometimes we become so confused in life and what is good and what is evil that instead of accepting that God is actually changing lives and setting the captives free, we're more comfortable with asking Jesus to leave than we are trusting him that he can stay and tell our sin to leave. John chapter 19, we get into a scene. Pay attention to everything that's happening here. Try to view it in light of what we know about Leviticus and the power of these symbols that Israel's been holding on to for so long. These symbols, images, and situations to meditate on. Remember what they put on Jesus' head. Crown of thorns, which would create a band that was what color that would be laid on his head. Right? So here's Jesus with a red stripe around his head who's standing before the people like the cord on the head of the goat. Pilate says, what? I find no fault in him. Which is the condition of the goats they had to find where ones had no blemish, no faults, no issues, no problems. These were stand upright. There was nothing wrong with these. These weren't the bad ones we're discarding. This is actually a really good one that we're going to sacrifice. The crowd says that he needs to die for claiming to be the son of God, which is ironic from a people who deserve to die, who deserve to die for wanting to try to become like gods. Because we like to be in control, and we like to choose what we think is right and wrong, and we like to be those people, and as those people, we don't like when the real one's in our midst. So it's easier to ask him to die than to know that we're the ones that deserve it. Pilate gives two options, either kill him or release him. We got two goats, and the options are we're going to kill one and we're going to release the other. The name Azazel means to take away, and Pilate says, here is your king. And what does the crowd cry out? Take him away. 
Listen to what John the Baptist says about Jesus early on in Jesus' ministry. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The world's going to cast their sin on him, and he's going to take them away. He's going to walk out of here, and Israel's going to be clean and upright and purified, not because we've got our stuff together, but because there was a pure, spotless lamb who stands in substitution for us to take what we deserve, and he's going to take all that, and he's going to go away with it. You get it? The goat without blemish and the red stripe around his head led out of the city to die. Jesus, who Pilate could find no fault with him, uh, with a red stripe around his head, was led out of the city, carrying the sins of the people to die. God is always making a way to atone for, cover over the sins of the people so that he can be with us and we can be with him. Remember the story in Genesis chapter 3. We see humanity choosing to go against God, to be in control, decide what is good and what is bad for us, and the consequence of that sin is death. But God makes a way for the death we deserve to be put on an animal. God makes a way for the sin that we bear to be put on an animal. When the ritual becomes an empty practice instead of a spiritual rehearsal, God sends his son to die in place for the purifying forgiveness of our sins so that we can be made right with God. I want to skip down for, we're doing the slides here. In Revelation chapter 3, here's how we know that the sins are covered. It's, it's Jesus has already gone out. Grace has already been given. The cross has already happened. Uh, we know that that moment in history is there. But it only covers our sin when we repent and believe. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I love this imagery that we get. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and him with me. You get the image? The cross is Jesus knocking on the door, saying, hey, I'm, it's yours. If, if, whether you let me in or not, I'm here. I've, I've, already made, I've, I've already come this way, right? Your sin has been forgiven. The goat has left the town, right? It's, it's, we're, we're good here. Everything's fine, okay? What are you going to do, though? Do you, like to be, do you like to still pretend that you could be the savior of your own life? Are you still working on making sure that maybe you've got another creative bone in your body that can figure your way out of this next one? Or are you good putting that all on Jesus and letting him be the one, right? And pay attention. Jesus plays the high priest and the goat. It, Jesus is doing a lot of stuff here, all right? That he's putting all that stuff on himself as he takes it away. So think about it because oftentimes in our sin, all we're trying to do is be like, oh, I know the goat's leaving this year. I think I can still handle it. I think I still got this, right? And to us, that sounds ridiculous when you read the story, but pay attention to what Jesus is doing. He says, hey, just bring it to me, right? All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will be the one that gives you rest. He gives us this stuff over and over to remind us of who he is and what he's doing. The invitation here is, will you receive him? Paul reminds us the kind of sacrifice God is looking for from us. He says, Here, here's, here's what God's looking for is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Not to die on an altar, but on this altar, we're to live for him. All right. As we worship, as we sing through this next song, I know for some of you, right, there's some stuff you're holding on to. Uh, maybe you're holding on to some sin stuff that you just don't want to let go of. Or like Paul, you've tried to let go of it, but it's like a boomerang just keeps coming back over 
and over. Some of you may be having a hard time trusting Jesus with it, right? And what I want you to hear is this. Jesus doesn't want to spotlight it. Jesus didn't show up to make you feel guilty or condemned or to heap on shame. Jesus has come only to take it on himself and send it away. So the question for us is, right, would we rather die for the stuff that we've got or would we rather heap that on Jesus, who's invited us to do it and send it away with him as he takes it where it belongs so that we can have righteousness and stand right before God? Would you stand and pray? Lord Jesus, as we worship this song, Father, would you, would you release in us? God, maybe, maybe there's, a, a, there's all kinds of imagery over this story. Maybe there needs to be one for us today. God, um, in the same way that, that the high priest put his hands in, and cast the sin over, over this goat and send it out, in the same way that Jesus' hands were nailed to a cross, stretched out for us. God, maybe during this song, Father, would you, as just a, a, a time of some kind of act of worship, God, would we, would we use our hands to worship you this morning? Uh, God, some of us may, we need to put our palms down and just cast that sin and say, Jesus, this is, I need you to carry this out. Maybe we need to lift our hands up and just praise and worship for thanking you that you've made a way and you keep making ways and you keep inventing new ways when we screw up the old ones and that you are constantly chasing after us, your people. But Father, as we sing this next worship song, God, if would you, at some point, would you meet us in a place and, um, and church, would you feel welcome as we're singing this just to extend your hands as a way of, of releasing, sending it off, taking Jesus up on his offer to take it away. Father, would you meet us in this place in Jesus' name?